Y'all feel like dancing? This is really hard right now for us to feel where you're coming from because we can't see you, we can hear you. If you make a lot of noise, you make us party much harder. I don't know how the security is here. I don't want to cause a problem. But if you feel like dancing wherever you are, get on up and get down. Oh yeah, I did some community theater once. All right. My name is Jay. I'm a member of Lightning Licks Vinyl Preservation Society, a collective of record enthusiasts whose mission is to celebrate and examine our often unhealthy, always obsessive, more often than not creepily intimate relationship that we share with the physical media that is vinyl records. I am here, as always, with my uh, sonic laurel to my sonic hearty, Dion. Hey, Jay. How's it going, buddy? Ah, it's going great, I guess. Uh, good. It's good to hear your voice. It's been a while. It has been a while. It's good to be back. Yes. Stupid COVID. Yeah. Round in the corner, though. Round in the corner, man. I promise you, it won't be long. I know. And I was watching um, Fox, and they were doing this news story about all the people that were going down to Florida for spring break. And I just hope that there's not this huge... Like, we're so close. Like I think I read this quote by Fauci this week where he was like, it's like running with the football for a touchdown and then spiking at the five-yard line. Like, we're so close right now. And people just need to just be patient. Like, even the guy, even the doctor that they had, they said, you know, if you wait, like, 30 to 40 more days, like once everybody starts getting vaccinated, just be patient. We're so close, you know? Even the Fox doctor was saying that? Uh-oh. That's not a good sign. Yeah. I mean, I was really surprised that they allowed that to be said, but because they're usually about getting the economy going. And <laughs> so I hope that that's true. I mean, we are so close now, and I'd hate to see it just all fall apart because people are just kind of impatient. I mean, I get it, but yeah, I get we're, it we're so close. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. So here we are. We're at uh, we're doing that Lightning Licks radio podcast. What number are we on right now? Fuck, I don't even know, dude. 15, 14? Either. 14 or 15? 14? I think 14. 14 sounds right. Yeah, 14 sounds right. Okay. Dion, so here we are together separately again. Again. Why don't you let our listeners know what the theme of today's episode is? What are we doing? We're going to discuss with one another some of our favorite lyrics and music. Now, here's the deal. We can't make like a comprehensive, definite list of the best lyrics of all time because there's just too many. I mean, it depends on the way you look at it. Uh, it depends on what genre. It depends on you know what kind of song it is. There's just too many factors. So we decided just to talk about a few songs with lyrics that connected to us, either lyricists that we love uh, a song whose oh words... no don't, don't say that because I like overthought this for so long. I the more I thought about it, I thought we I wish we had just done like five songs because I just <laughs> overthought this so much. Five but, songs yeah. with good words. That's what you're getting from us. Each of us are going to give you five songs with good words. Talk about <laughs> them, share them, let you discover them. If you already know about them, maybe listen to them again. That's where we're at. Yeah, because I, I again normally like I know that you like to stay away from the more not mainstream but more right. obvious things. And when we first started talking about this, there's things like Morrissey or Michael Stipe that comes into, yeah. or Tom Petty or Rick Ocasek or all these kind of more like 
obvious lyricist that I really love, but nothing that I'm going to share is going to be too like brutally obscure, but right. it's not very mainstream either. So that was the other thing I kind of struggled with too, because I could talk about Morrissey and how he changed my life all day, but yeah. How did he change your life? Just real quick. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I feel like I learned about the replacements and like the Smiths, like right around the same time when I was like 20 years old, this is a 20 year old male. Like when you hear those sad sack lyrics of Morrissey and those kind of like loser underdog lyrics of Paul Westerberg, you really like connected with them. Yeah, that really does feel Yeah, well. exactly. And you really connect with them. And so like Morrissey and like Westerberg are two really big ones for me. But we've talked about uh, the replacements before and, and Morrissey is like obviously obvious so we're not gonna go there but no. we have some really good ones coming up though yeah like usual we're just digging a little bit deeper but if you think sure, about sure, it sure. words and songs it's just part of who we are I mean every time that there's like an expedition where like an archaeologist goes and tries to find a lost civilization right they're always digging up artifacts that are musical instruments and I can imagine like before there was papyrus or you know writing on walls or whatever i'm sure they got that as soon as they were his language they probably put that shit to music and that's how they shared their history and that's how they shared all their knowledge from generation to generation and it hasn't stopped and i remember the first time that a song spoke to me lyrically i used to do these little radio shows in my bedroom you know because i had a fisher price like one of those all-in-one kind of cream brown colored record players with the orange <laughs> yeah. platter yeah, I used to have one of those. Not like that, but I had one kind of like that, too. I'll tell you about mine. My parents had just a small stack of 45s and, like, one uh, long player, which was like Leaf Garrett. It was fucking terrible. But through their 45s, I would run <laughs> Hey, these. hey, hey. Sorry. Don't diss on Leif Garrett. Did he speak to you with everybody else's words or something? He didn't write any of that shit anyway. Leif Garrett. Leif. <laughs> <laughs> I would uh, do, like, a top 40, right? And I would tape it on cassette then just re dub over and dub over and dub over so i had hundreds of top 40s and by the end of it the the tape was so disintegrated and shitty <laughs> that you couldn't really hear me in my dj voice trying to say the number one song elton john's i guess that's why they call it the blues my parents had that on 45 and that song for whatever i don't know what it is about the lyrics and i was too young to understand but for me like rolling like thunder under the covers that's what got me. And I didn't know what it meant back then. That's a super great line, too. Yeah. Yeah, and it's so top end. I mean, obviously, now now in retrospect, I know that he was a, you know, that's a great songwriting partnership, a lyricist and an artist like that. You don't come across that every day where they work so well together, but I've got a new appreciation for it. But back then, it was just that was my song. And that's funny that you say that, too, because I also had that same experience. Like, I remember being, I don't know, probably fourth or fifth grade, and my parents gave me this. It was literally like one turntable, but it had a microphone that plugged into it. Oh, awesome. And I would be in the house, and I would be like wedged in between like the television and the couch, and I would do my whole WJAY yeah. like radio thing. And I only had like, <laughs> God love my mother for putting up with it, because I only had a handful of 45s, and I would play DJ like all day. But Elton John also <laughs> is like one of those guys for me too, where I was like, even to this day as an adult a lot of times i don't understand what the hell Toppin's talking about right but the imagery was very intriguing to me even as a child like i knew that there was something special going on there and elton john was probably that first those first recordings i listened to where i thought that the lyrics actually were gonna like were heavy and they meant something right and we still haven't really decoded them <laughs> no i mean Toppin's stuff i mean some of it's really like obvious but some of it's so really still like what the fuck is he talking about still right. to this day i don't know a lot of what his songs are about but and that's <laughs> kind of cool too because 
I mean, obviously that kind of stuff leaves it to interpretation, which is always a cool thing. Absolutely. Yeah. So here we are, episode 14 of Lightning Licks Radio, where we discuss luscious lyrics. <laughs> Whether it's the whole dang tune or just a few lines that you cannot seem to get out of your mind, <laughs> this is an episode that you won't want to miss. Stay tuned. <laughs> Sucking on a chili dog, 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 chili dog, sucking on a chili dog, sucking on a dog, sucking on a chili dog, chili, sucking on a chili dog, sucking on a dog, sucking on a chili dog, sucking on. Sucking on a chili dog, sucking on a chili dog, sucking on chili, sucking on a dog, sucking on a chili dog, sucking on chili dog. A little ditty about Jack and Diane, two American kids sucking on a chili dog. So we're going to go, we're going to talk about some of our favorite lyrics from some of our favorite songwriters. And since I'm talking right now, since it's me on the mic, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to throw it to you right now. I want you to tell me the first thing, your very first selection for lyrical wizardry. I want to talk about one of my favorite lyricists and musicians really of all time, Curtis Mayfield. I'm borderline obsessed with Curtis Mayfield. He's a hell of a musician. He's a great guitarist, legendary producer, record exec type, right? He had his own label. But most importantly, for the sake of this conversation at least, he was an incredible lyricist, in my view, and in some of the genres that I tend to fuck with a whole lot. So we're talking Chicago soul, R&B. He's just a cool cat with an extensive discography. His work with the impressions early on, and of course his solo material is just like all fantastic. And he can certainly hold a tune, so that helps with the delivery of his words. He's got that buttery, smooth falsetto, like legitimately rivaling the best in the biz. We're talking probably holding a candle to the likes of Ronnie Isley. I mean, it'd be pretty close, but his vocals are just fire. So the problem is, when we're talking about like Curtis Mayfield, with so many great songs, how in the hell do you choose? See, I'm all about the love song, and he's got like a ton of love songs, but much of his material also dealt with social issues. Uh, even early on with the impressions, they had some like pretty massively important anthems of the civil rights movement, like uh, Keep On Pushing, People Get Ready. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, you got stuff like Don't Worry, If There's a Hell Below, We're All Gonna Go. Yeah. Which is obviously badass, too. I mean, Curtis Mayfield was a, just a pure badass for sure. He got more political, I guess you could say, as time went on. Sometimes with like uplifting jams like Move On Up, Power to the People, sometimes a little more dark, thinking like uh, Billy Jack and Hard Times and like probably the totality of Superfly where he basically like flipped the whole concept of a black exploitation soundtrack on his head, right? Because instead of simply 
I don't know, glorifying the violence and the illegal activity. Oh, like something like Pusher Man is still social commentary. Right. He, yeah. he uh, was like revealing or exposing like the ugliness of everything and just showing it for what it was, consequences and all. And it's like a great record. As far as I'm concerned, probably one of the best soundtracks. His uh, second solo release is actually a live album and it's titled Simply Curtis Live. And dude, it's a great record. As far as live albums, it would make my list of top 10, whatever, top five maybe of all time. That band that he had assembled was just so tight. They're on point. The sound of the record's wonderful. His vocals cut through the mix perfectly. And the stage banter that he's able to have with his audience or raps as they appear on the track list, they're like really personable, relatable, sometimes humorous. Anyway, there's a track on that album entitled Stare and Stare, which is the song I'd like to spotlight. And it only appears on this album, meaning there's no studio version of that tune, just this live version. And lyrically, it's like simple, yet impactful. It's like a powerful uh, critique of social apathy. So set the scene. It's a bunch of people, right, on a bus. And instead of interacting with one another or uniting together to like lessen the burden of an unjust society on all of them, they just stare and stare across the aisle, whatever. But they're not focused on what they should be focused on. I mean, that's the point of the song. Not recognizing their neighbors as coworkers or even as persons. Uh, you gotta keep in mind this was recorded in like 1970. Uh, civil rights movement was going strong a few years earlier, but it kind of stalled out after, you know, the assassination of Malcolm X and then Fred Hampton, MLK, and whatever was happening locally in Chicago, which wasn't good, you know, Chicago PDs pretty famous for beating up on its uh, minority citizens. So all the attempts, the demand was making to like stop the progress of the movement. I feel like Curtis was saying, come on, motherfuckers, at a time when we need to acknowledge each other as much as we can, y'all just sitting around, staring ahead, like waving the white flag. It's like, wake up people. And I love that just simple presentation that he gave to his audience, you know? Just hear this little story about sitting on the bus, but really think about what it means. And looking at the lyrics, I'm just gonna point out a line that's really, like you said, super simple. The line is not simple. It's it's worded simply, but it's super effective. While people sitting back, digging my nappy hair, a sister standing and no one even cares. Yeah. I mean, the whole idea, I mean, back in the day, it's like when you were sitting on a bus or you were sitting on a subway or whatever, you got up for a lady and you let a lady sit down. Mm-hmm. But because she was a sister, no one gave a fuck. She can stand. That's fucked up. By its simplicity, it's amazing to me. He just gets so much done with those two lines. Right. And also just sonically, the song sounds sweet. It's like the sweet wah guitar. And it almost is like duetting with his vocals. And there's a smooth groove that's beneath it. And you would think that it would just explode in an all-out jam at the end. That's what your mind thinks is going to happen when you first hear this song. But it never like really materializes. The drummer... He can't find the groove, the song just kind of fizzles out, which I think was intentional and symbolic, you know? It's like that struggle, it still lingers on today to a certain degree. Curtis's message from 50 years ago, basically, like don't do nothing, do something. And when you have a tune that carries a message that can like resonate for half of a century, dude, that's pretty good. Them some good words, Curtis. Yeah, and I think almost it would have been too obvious if he had climaxed to something else. The fact that he kept it low-key is almost more subtle, and I think it's more powerful in that way, too. Yeah, it feels like it's the only way that this song could end. You know what I mean? Like, just fizzle out. Yeah, for sure. 
All right, Jay, how about you share with the listeners in Podcast America and your trusty co-host a song that you dig, lyrics that you dig, whatever. Right, so as always, once we come up with these themes for our episodes, there's obviously a few things that pop up right away. And um, the first thing that popped up to me, uh, I'm not going to make a big, big build up. Um, there's a song by The Jam from the album Setting Suns called uh, Wasteland. And that's the first song that popped up into my brain when we first started talking about lyrics that hit us hard. Right. That's the first song that popped up. And those are written by? By the Mod Father, Paul Weller. <laughs> the Mod Father. The Mod Father. And we did discuss him, but one of his other bands, Style, Style Council, this post-jam uh, yeah. band. When I was younger, coming into punk rock, I'd been listening to it for a while. I listened to Sex Pistols and The Clash and whatnot. So I was mm-hmm. aware of the political connotations of punk rock or how that could be a vehicle for saying some important stuff. Right. I bought this record. There was the Columbia House Record Club. Yeah. It was one of those things where it was like seven records for a penny kind of thing. And I bought the jam Setting Suns on a whim. I'd never heard it. I'd never heard of them before. But I'm just going to say that that was one of those bands, and I know people throw this term around a lot, and maybe I throw it around too much too, but it was a game changer. It was a life changer for me because having listened to punk rock, I knew about the political angle on it. Yeah. But I think that Paul Weller came at it in a way that Lydon and Joe Strummer and Mick Jones had not. And the thing is I love about Paul Weller's lyrics is that it's almost like a personal politics. Like a lot of that stuff, a lot of that is like sloganeering as far as I'm concerned. Right. But Paul Weller brought it down to a pinpoint where he connected it to the every man, the every woman, lower class, middle class. And he brought this kind of like personal politics to it that I had not heard before. And that really kind of changed the way that I like listen to music and how I listen to lyrics. Like it kind of blew my mind. That whole record, which was initially supposed to be a concept record about three friends or whatever getting back together after many, many years. And they've kind of like, they're all doing their own thing right now, but it's all different than when they started. Right. I discovered it in high school. Well, it's probably like in 10th or 11th grade, uh-huh. maybe 10th grade. And I remember like, I was so obsessed with this song. I remember sitting in typing class because I took typing class for the same reason I took home economics is because there were girls in that class. Nice. And then when we'd have type downtime before the bell rang or whatever, and I would just sit at my typewriter and I would type these lyrics to Wasteland over and over and over again because they moved me so much. Right. And plus you improved the muscle memory on your little fingers and you could type better probably. ASDF JKL semi. There you go. The monkeys. I really like that you said that sloganeering. When you think about it like taking it on a personal level, I mean, that's more punk than just the normal, like, hey, you know, society's terrible, blah, blah, blah. That's really cool that you made that connection. Yeah, and I put all this together, like, as I got older, too. But what Weller was doing is kind of the same thing that Ray Davis from the Kinks was doing in a sense that he was really just kind of, like, spotlighting or, like, taking these kind of, like, almost, like, mental lyrical photos of everyday living. Uh And nobody was really doing that. So I will compare Paul Weller to somebody like Ray Davies from the Kinks. The thing I love about Wasteland is that it's kind of like that flower that cracks up in the the cement and the sidewalk. There's this beauty amongst the ugliness. (laughs) When I was younger, I assumed it was like some post-apocalyptic kind of thing. Right. But rereading the lyrics as I got older, I realized that you're just kind of kicking around in a, basically like a landfill. Uh, What were they called before that though? A dump? Just like a junkyard. Yeah. And he's with someone, they never say whether it's a woman or a man, so it's not for me to say. But the lyrics, they're just basically, they're talking about rummaging through the past. Oh. And this is where they are right now. And there's a, this litany of 
The lyric that kind of got me the most was, and they're amongst the shit, the dirty linen, the holy Coca-Cola tins, the punctured footballs, the ragged dolls, the rusting bicycles will sit and probably hold hands. Oh, man. And watch the rain fall, tumble and fall like our lives, just like our lives. And it's just this really visual. The other lyrics that we're going to talk about are picked for later are not as like flowery as this just felt like poetry to me and i had never really like come across lyrics like that before and there's another line there's another thing too and and whenever if the sun shines lighting our once beautiful features will smile but only for seconds for to be caught smiling is to acknowledge life a brave but useless show of compassion and that is forbidden in this drab and colorless world i'm like holy shit are you kidding me that's poetry i know it really is like true true poetry wow also the lines we'll talk about the old days when the wasteland was released when we could play and think without feeling guilty meet me later but we'll have to hold hands like i have goosebumps just saying those words right now man that's pretty. yeah and the, and the music is perfect too it's just it's just really one of the most beautiful songs i've ever heard in my life and it was completely affecting to me as a teenager i'm like holy shit this is heavy oh man and again it kind of changed how i listened to music or what i was looking for or what i thought i was looking for when I was listening to music. God, that's that's fucking awesome, dude. <laughs> Thanks yeah. for sharing that. And I can't wait to share it with our listeners out there in yeah. Podcast America when we put that fucker on a mix at the end of the episode. All right, what else you got, Indiana? What's your uh, your next lyrical masterpiece? Okay, I'm going to talk about a guy named Josh Ritter. He's like an indie folk Americana singer-songwriter, I guess you could call him. He's released 10 or so full-length records over the past couple decades, getting to start near 2000, right? And he's got a handful of songs that like really, really do it for me lyrically. I mean, the dude's a wordsmith. My favorite lyrical masterpiece by Mr. Ritter is likely a tune entitled The Temptation of Adam. Now, that's an incredible love story between two military personnel stationed in a missile silo, like a secret bunker hundreds of miles underground. And the narrator is expressing his feelings for his female counterpart, talking about... Uh, ravaging the rations together you know he dreams about their life together in that base awaiting instructions to basically unleash nuclear armageddon at any moment it's just a really cool story unfortunately i don't own that on vinyl what (laughs) but i do own an album of his titled so runs the world away which includes a track called the curse which is another unconventional love song this time the love is between an archaeologist and the reanimated mummy that she discovers on exhibition (laughs) and she takes him back to New York and for a while she displays him and he pretends to be dead but eventually it's discovered that he is indeed alive you know cue the fame and the paparazzi and the mummy groupies as you'd expect would happen right and he's just living it up in the big apple and she withers away until eventually one day her dry fig of a heart stops its beating no (laughs) i like how he sets this up i like how he sets us up too because the last verse flashes back to the beginning of the story to reveal the twist or the curse as you would have it. This is definitely one of those songs that, for me, feel like watching a movie. Josh Ritter is one of those artists that I've heard about and I've never actually listened to him before. So it was interesting to listen to this song and and the lyrics, it is. I was just going to actually say the same thing. It does. It feels like it could be its own film. Right. Interestingly enough,
off, the song itself is uh, it's a waltz, right? And I feel like, and this may all be in my mind, I'm not sure, but I figured I'd bring it up. I feel like waltzes like lend themselves to really cool lyrics and vocal performances. And maybe it has something to do with the time signature serving like more as an open canvas for like more words or more internal rhymes or some shit like that. I don't know. But uh, some other notable waltzes with phenomenal lyrics that I thought about <laughs> just off the top of my head, right? It's like sure. uh, Billy Joel's Piano Man, which is perhaps a bit played out. And, uh, you know, it could be ruined from a lifetime of jukebox sing-alongs with the local drunkards. But still, it's really well put together. Yeah, and as observational lyrics go, it's still pretty great. I was thinking of uh, Drows by Queen, and that's like one of my favorite Queen songs. It's just oh, awesome. Yeah. That's a good one, too, yeah. And then yeah. uh, I was thinking Hendrix's Manic Depression. I mean, I'm not sure if Jimmy even wrote that one. I think he did. Um, yeah, he did. I'm pretty sure he did. The riff might be what takes that song over the edge, but the lyrics are also uh, really cool. And I wanted to bring this up to you to see if I could get you fired up, okay? And I do realize <laughs> that there has been a moratorium in place by my fellow liquor restricting any future artists from ever covering this tune for the next century. But I'm talking about Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen and right, 57,000 yeah. subsequent artists. I mean, of course, <laughs> Cohen, he's and a dark anybody poet. on a voice and anybody <laughs> on American Idol or anybody anywhere ever. Yeah. But, I mean, the lyrics are pretty cool. I mean, especially with his version. And, you know, the history of that song, there's a million verses that he wrote. It's just people through time pick the ones they like or whatever and it became this thing but i just respect that song just don't cover it do not cover it but i do, do not <laughs> i do respect 100 year it. moratorium 100 no year more covers moratorium. of that song no more recordings of that song oh you know what else is a waltz when i become president of the united states i'm declaring that <laughs> as a thing <laughs> i just want to say that rainbow connection is also a waltz but i don't want to get into that because i think you impose the same moratorium i already facebooked about that too <laughs> fuck that song and i'm sure if we thought long and hard we could identify a million more waltzes with amazing lyrics but that's a deep dive for another day which will ultimately never come thankfully i do want to get back to ritter for a second this story this mummy story it's just when you take a difficult concept like that and you're able to get all these lines to make sense. I mean, there's no throwaway rhymes. There's no throwaway lines. I mean, this is just presented with purpose. It's just a beautiful story. And it, you know, it's quirky or whatever, but I just, I don't know. I think it's really well done. And I'm just gonna say, while we're on the subject of this too, for me, the last two lines of that song kill me. Right. And that is that she asked, are you cursed? He says, I think that I'm cursed. Then he kissed her and hoped that she'd forget that question. There you go. That's fucking brilliant. Yeah, man. Yeah. Man, I love it. That's some serious biz right there. Got a cool video, too, with some puppeteering and shit like that. So check that out on the YouTube if you can. Jay, I was wondering if you would enlighten me with another one of your favorite lyrical performance or lyricist or whatever. So the next one I'm going to do, or my next one, my number two, Dos, is... uh, the songwriter, a guy I may have heard of, named Steve Earle, yeah. and the song is called Someday. That's my song. I kind of, my family always had the radio on. My parents didn't buy a lot of records. I did. But the radio was always on in our house. But the thing that I never, we never really got around to, we didn't really listen to much, was country music. Uh-huh. So at one point when I was living in Maine, which is probably 86, 87, 88, I would say 87 or 88, oh, the glory I would days. sit and I would sit around and I would watch CMT, which is country music television. Wow. That which was... back in the day, much like MTV, they actually played videos. That's shocking. And I don't know why, I, but I would just sit there and I would watch CMT 
that was the first time I really got introduced to country because country didn't really exist to me at that point right. in my life. Like I did, it just wasn't a part of it. And I remember seeing videos by like Nancy Griffith and like Foster and Lloyd. That's where I fell in love with. Uh, I saw the video for uh, "If I Had a Boat" by Lyle Lovett, okay. which I fell in love with right away. But the other guy that I fell in love with right away is seeing the video for Someday by Steve Earle. And where Lyle Lovett was kind of more that sophisticated country, Steve Earle was purely hillbilly outlaw country. All right. And that song, Someday, really just hit me, lyrically hit me like right away. And it's really not anything different than the stuff that Springsteen had been doing or lots of, I mean, tons of people have done songs. Because basically Someday is about this kid who lives in a podunk town, one traffic light, and he just dreams of getting out. And I feel like all of us, no matter what city that you live in, I think we all have a love-hate relationship with the city that we grew up in or our hometown. So I feel like no matter where you're from, there's a, when you're a kid, you're like, oh my God, well, I just, just want to get out of here. But this is even more poignant because it's such a small podunk town. It's right. just a kid who pumps gas and all he wants to do is get in his car and drive away. And I feel like that's just kind of like a universal feeling. I feel like we all feel like that at some point. Like we just want to get out of our hometown. We just want to like see new things, experience new things, meet new people, all that stuff. Because we just feel like we've been held back from the town that we grew up in. Yeah. So that song really kind of affected me on that level and the fact that it was really kind of my introduction to country music. And I'm just going to say, I also feel like the late 80s and like the 90s were probably like the last really good decade for like commercial country music. I'm gonna throw that gauntlet down. Ooh, those them's is fighting words, yeah. I bet, to some country fans, but I get what you're saying. He's just a really cool dude, too. Yeah. It's really cool to see people who are able to, I guess, relate to an audience, to a country audience, like on a large scale level, but like personally be everything that typically you'd think that that group of people just despises. I mean, he's like an outspoken liberal. He's been married like a hundred times. He's just, he's really, like he's a goddamn socialist, but he's still... Yeah, he really grew into like a political writer as each record went on too. Like he really got more political. I mean, he never lost that every man kind of thing that he always had. Right. But like, even when you get to like Copperhead Road, which was like the next thing I'd ever like heard from him too. I mean, that song itself is talking about movies within a song. Yeah. At that point, he started getting kind of like super political he was writing the unit ellis one and he was yeah. writing all the songs about uh death row and the death penalty and stuff like that too i'm gonna say like the last few years i've kind of fallen off of his stuff because i feel like he was kind of like re- I, I don't know i just kind of kind of lost interest but yeah. early on though like i was completely enamored of his lyrics and someday was kind of that gateway for me not only for steve earl but for country music in general i realized that there was actually some really cool country music out there right and that's cool that we get to share that with our audience on our mixtape because that's not something we typically get into a whole lot on lightning leaks radio so i'm glad you made that choice it's fucking great that was a surprise choice for me i didn't know you were, you were bringing <laughs> yeah, that to I the mean, table i don't know that was like one of those ones that just popped into my head like right away because i remember hearing that like the first time i ever heard that and i was like i get that it's a, it's such a base thing and i feel yeah. like it's in our DNA to escape where we came from, to just be somewhere else. Absolutely. All right, so moving on. Sure. Dion, number Trey, what do you got? All right, number Trey, I think we'll talk about Frank Ocean, 
The millennials love the Frank Ocean. I don't blame them. Dude's the shit. <laughs> uh, he's a composer, singer, songwriter, urban pop or whatever, alt R&B, I guess you could call it. A little bit of hip-hop finds its way into his unconventional productions. He was, early on in his career, a ghostwriter, and he wrote tunes for some pretty successful pop artists you may have heard of. John Legend, Bieber, Beyonce, Brandy. I mean, he was making it as a 20-year-old songwriter <laughs> in the mid-2000s. I've never heard of any of them. <laughs> Where have I been? I know. <laughs> uh, he hooked up with a hip-hop collective out in L.A., Odd Future, which included Tyler, the Creator, Earl Sweatshirt, some others. They were fucking crazy dudes. And he released some mixtapes by himself as a solo artist. And then finally, in 2012, he released his first studio album, Channel Orange, on Def Jam. And that's when I became aware of him. And that record is one of my favorite releases of the last decade. That's like not, I'm not breaking any, I mean, a lot of critics agreed with that. So, but it's just a really superb effort. I mean, he can sing, the production was dope, but lyrically, oh boy, that's some hot shit, bud. Yeah, and I'm just going to throw this in here. We went to, I don't, I don't even remember the song, but me and our friend Cole and his lady friend at the time, we went to go see the Afghan Wigs uh-huh. um, at St. Andrews. It was like the first tour of the reunion, the Afghan Wigs oh, reunion. Cool. It was like legit. And the fact that Dooley was doing, he actually covered a Frank Ocean song, that tells you that yeah. that's some heavy shit right, right there. Right, right. It's, uh... Because Greg Dooley don't <laughs> fuck around. <laughs> well, he got that stamp of approval, man. That's great. Well, he doesn't cover shit that's not yeah, serious. Awesome. I still don't really know a ton about Frank Ocean, but I just, I know that it must be something because Dooley Right, it is. It. it is. It's just really introspective stuff. It's like vulnerable. It's somewhat socially conscious. Not in a pretentious way, though. It's still very relatable. And his quote-unquote love songs, especially in the early days, got like a lot of attention in part because he released a statement around the same time as Channel Orange was being released, revealing that his first love was a man. And in the hip-hop landscape of the 2010s, that was like big news. But this record, Channel Orange, um, it wasn't even officially released on vinyl, I don't think. I got me a bootleg copy, son. And I don't know who put it out, but it sounds good. And it's the same as a CD, so it looks a little more generic as far as the packaging is concerned, which is kind of a bummer, but they did at least make the vinyl orange, so I don't know, nice touch. So Frank goes on to release two more albums, and his fans were anxiously awaiting the forthcoming fourth effort. We'll see when that happens. Maybe never. I don't know. But uh, his latest, Blonde, was another critical success. And there's actually a really interesting story around the way that he released his sophomore album. It was like a visual project. He streamed it online, more or less, to fulfill his obligations to Def Jam. So he just streams this live feed of himself building a wooden staircase, which is weird, over a 48-hour time period right and there was at points new frank ocean songs like playing in the background in this warehouse where he was like playing carpenter but that was it then he got out of his contract that's some high concept shit right there yeah and then the next day he releases blonde you know independently so it was kind of his middle finger to (laughs) the establishment there he tricked him kind of or whatever anyways the uh song that i want to spotlight from my bootlegged copy of Channel Orange, uh, we'll go with the song Pink Matter. It's a cool kind of laid-back tune. It features Andre 3000 of Outcast, which is great. You know, love me some Outcast. Yeah, you can't go wrong with uh, Outcast. Yeah, dude. Some of the lyrics in this song, like, 
say, what do you think my brain is made for? Is it just a container for the mind, this grape gray matter? And then he continues with, what is your woman? Is she just a container for the child, that soft pink matter, cotton candy, Majin Buu? I just really like that imagery there. Getting deep, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, that was, that's yeah. the heavy shit right there. And I assume that that line, Majin Buu, was like yeah. something, you know, from a different language that meant something uber intellectual or like existentially relevant. But it turns out that Majin Buu is just the name of a character in anime, Dragon Ball Z or whatever, who happens to be pinkish, purplish, grayish in color, which is so <laughs> hip-hop, dude, to drop an obscure reference in like that that hardly anybody will get and have everybody thinking that it means something it totally doesn't. Just brought everything together for me. That is so funny, too, because anime is such a big deal, but it, you would not think, yeah, that maybe his audience were not right. a big anime right. audience. Obviously. <laughs> That's pretty great, though. It does seem I pretty know. exotic, Majin though, when you Buu. hear it. Yeah, it's a cartoon, dude. <laughs> Karate cartoon or whatever. <laughs> Obviously, uh, Andre's verse is great as well. I mean, of course it is. He's one of the best ever do what he does on the MIC, and I'm excited to share Frank's sounds as well. And if you haven't yet, like, carved out some time to give his stuff a chance, you may want to, especially if you're into that alt R&B at all, like the Tony Tony Tonys or the Maxwells or the Music Soul Childs or the D'Angelos, even Prince to some degree. If you're into any of that type of stuff, Frank Ocean will likely scratch your sonic itch. Yeah. Scratch that itch? Yeah, give it a chance. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. For yeah, sure. check it out, buddy. Yeah. What else you got for me, Jay, as far as good words in music are concerned? All right, well, this is also one of the first things I thought of when we first started talking about this. I am a big fan of Mark Sandman. I am a big fan of the band Morphine. Mm -hmm. And again, that was one of those records that hit me at the right age, at the right time, Cure for Pain. I used to have a radio show at WNMC up in college, up in Traverse City, Can you give me your call letters real quick? Can you give me your For a few years. I think it's 90.9, if I'm not mistaken. 90.9 WNMC. Ooh, that sounds good. But I did a show for quite a few years, like an alt-rock show there, indie rock show. And that's where I first discovered uh, morphine. And I remember buying or hearing Cure for Pain and being completely blown away. And I'm just going to say, like, I feel like it's a toss up between Urge Overkill and morphine. But as like, I think morphine is probably like the best band of the 90s. Really? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And I don't know where they would be now if Mark Sandman had not passed. Right. But that record and that band hit me hard and affected me quite a bit. And he's a great lyricist. I feel like um, when I bought Cure for Pain, and I've never done this with another recording before or since, I loved it so much that I would actually get up 45 minutes before I had to go to work in the morning just so I could listen to it in totality before I went to work. Oh my God. That's how obsessed I was. And I was a big fan. I didn't realize, I didn't make the connection. when I li- Again, going back to when I lived in Maine, he was in a band previously called Treat Her Right. Mm-hmm. They were a Boston-based band. And when I lived in Portland, Maine, the radio station there used to play this song a lot called I Think She Likes Me, which was sung. There, there was two songwriters in that band. One of them was Sandman. And I always loved that song. And it, did, it wasn't until later that I made the connection it was the same dude. So I'd already known that I liked him. Mm-hmm. But Morphine hit me pretty hard. Yeah. You know, I discovered him late, obviously. But I remember somebody put that on a mix CD for me. And I think it might have been that song. It's just a really cool sound. There's, there's Bands aren't 
like that anymore. You know, I mean, sure there's some or whatever, but this was the first one generally with that kind of sound that I was aware of, right? Yeah, and, and the fact that there was so, the, the lineup was original with the drums and the saxophone and Mark playing like the two-string slide bass. I mean, it was right. kind of like, it, nothing sounded like that band. It was completely alien, but it was, it was so, it was such a great sound. And I always loved his lyrics too, because I'm kind of like, you know, being like a Westerberg guy, I'm always about the self-effacing, the loner, the underdog, the loser kind yeah. of lyrics. And yeah. I feel like Salmon had a little bit going on. I feel like Salmon kind of combined a Kerouac beat poetry thing with the Charles Bukowski kind of thing. And yeah. I, I loved his stuff because although the lyrics were not flat, because I'm not a big fan of like flowery lyrics, I like the fact that he was able to just hit you straight in the heart mm-hmm. with these like simple lyrics. And Cure for Pain is full of them. I mean, In Spite of Me or uh, I'm Free Now, all those songs, like they all kind of hit that button for me. Right. But Cure for Pain, I mean, it's the obvious choice from that record, but it is for a reason. Those lyrics are fucking killer. Yeah. And the chorus itself, someday there'll be a cure for pain. That's the day I throw my drugs away. I mean, come yeah. on. I mean, that's so deep. And my favorite lyrics from that song, though, and it always makes me laugh because it's so funny, yet tragic at the same time, but it's so <laughs> funny, is I propose a toast to my self-control. You see it crawling helpless on the floor. Just the <laughs> visual of that yeah. just makes me laugh every fucking time. I mean, right. he was always up to that A-game level the whole time that Morphine was recording. And he's like one of the few, like, handful, like, Obviously, we all miss artists that we love. Yeah. But I still, I miss Sandman hard. Like, I so much would love to know what he'd be doing in 2021 right now. Because he was so experimental and he was so open to, like, everything. It just makes me sad that he's no longer with us. But he went out the best way you could probably go out. I mean, he went out with his bass strapped on. I mean, yeah. He fucking had a heart attack and died on stage. I mean, you can't go any cooler than that. Yeah, no. I mean, that's legendary. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, Cure for Pain, that's my track for me. I'll all right, cool. All right, Dion. Moving on. Moving on. Quattro. What do you got for Quattro? I want to talk about Laura Gibson. I wanted a female voice in there. Not that it's so much of a challenge to do so. I mean, just think of some of the most celebrated lyricists of all time, many of whom are female. You could go with Joni Mitchell or Carole King or Fiona Apple, Kate Bush, Patti Smith. That list could go on and on and on. You and I have talked about this before. A lot of the newer music that we get into is often from a female perspective because we want to hear what they have to say. Probably of all the new stuff that I buy, I'm going to say that 70% of it is... Um, female fueled. Right. I don't give a fuck what guys have to say anymore. Yeah, well, I just don't give a shit. And it doesn't hurt that we've heard it all before. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, it's all been fucking sad. So just let's let the ladies talk. And that's the shit that I'm interested in too. So I'm completely with you on that. I, uh, as usual, digging a little deeper, uh, will shine a spotlight on a singer songwriter, multi instrumentalist, uh, indie folk artist from the Pacific Northwest, Lori Gibson. She's still active, been putting out records for about 15 years or so. When Electric Kitsch, our Sonic Church, first opened like nine years ago, I rolled the dice and blind bought her album Le Grand uh, based on the cover from the New Arrivals bin. Um, it's just a photo of her wrapped in a blanket at night in the woods behind a little campfire. And it just happens to kind of rule. Uh, she's got a soft, <laughs> sweet voice like honey and a really, really like uber poetic lyrics. There was an insert in the packaging uh, a printout featuring the lyrics. Very small print. I needed my old fuck cheater lenses to read along. But I did that, and as I was listening, my first listen was reading along with the lyrics of the first song. I found myself like reading ahead because these lyrics are like little poems. They're just really cool. 
and by the time the grooves of the third track like passed under the needle, I had already consumed like all of the lyrics in the whole album, which is an odd way, for me at least, to take in a record, but I don't know, it was really memorable. I just really enjoyed it. The song that I'd like to submit to our mixtape and share is titled Skin Warming Skin. And it's, uh, it's just beautiful. And it might be about fucking, I don't know. That may appeal to my inner perv on some level, but I just love what she does with some of these lines, like right from the get, the one that stands out to me. Secrets spun as thin as summer threads, hidden in the hems of summer dresses. I mean, yeah, that shit's yeah good. that's fairly badass. And you're coming in hard on those first two lines on that for sure. Ooh, and I got a little bit of trivia knowledge pertaining to Laura Gibson. We're all about the trivia here on Lightning Luke's Radio. <laughs> Laura was the first guest to appear on an NPR music segment titled A Tiny Desk Concert. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. Whoa. In retrospect, it's funny to like watch that on YouTube and hear Bob Boylan say like in the break between one of the songs, he's like, this may turn into something, maybe not, who knows. Well... <laughs> Happy Monday morning to everyone. <laughs> yeah, she, Laura should be heard. And, and so so Stephen invited Laura to come play at my desk, and she called a week or whatever so ago and said, I think, basically, I'm coming to town. <laughs> and uh, we said, well, we got the desk ready. So we're going to videotape this for our, our blog, and, uh, and maybe it's the start of something, and maybe it's not, but we're certainly glad to have Laura Gibson here today. Thank you for doing this. (laughs) Obviously, it did indeed turn into something. It's basically like an institution at this point, uh, partly responsible for NPR remaining as relevant as they have been promoting indie artists. But, you know, more popular pop artists go on there, too, and even some unknown and emerging artists. It gives them an interesting platform to reach out to their audience, uh, intimate setting of an office building. It's a cool series, period. It really is. I'm not going to lie. Like, I have been turned on to, like, artists or bands from the tiny desk. Or sometimes, like, I was talking to Jessica Kitsch, and she was telling me about, I can't think of the female rapper right now. Oh, I can't remember. And I didn't love the music. It's not something I would listen to normally, but the tiny desk ruled hard. Yeah. 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 So I guess that's a seed of an idea that certainly bore some fruit. And Laura Gibson was the first, the first, ladies and gentlemen. So Jay, can you give me another? Can I run to the bathroom real quick? No. Yes. I have to run to the bathroom. Do it. Do it. Do it. I'm gonna have some coffee. All right. I'm gonna pee too. Let's both pee. Oh my God! You're drinking coffee and I'm drinking. God, I hate you. What? No. (laughs) I don't hate you. I don't hate you. (laughs) Okay. I'll be right back. All right. All right, Jay, uh, can you share another memorable lyric or lyrics or memorable lyricist with the good people out there in podcast America? Dion, I can and I will. I love it when you say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was probably the second thing I thought of when we first started talking about this. And um, the song that I want to talk about is a song called My Bag uh, from a band called Lloyd Cole and the commotions from a record called Mainstream. Cool. Now I heard a Lloyd Cole because of you. I believe he made the best of 2019 with one of his newer releases. Yeah. And I had to go back to the Commotions era to find some shit to put in the weeds, you know. And I'm like, holy fuck, this guy's rad. But because yeah. the song that I heard from you was nothing like his older stuff, but it was all no. really cool. No, he's like kind of one of those like literate lyricists. I mean, people talk about, you know, you get your Leonard Cohen's. We're going to come back around to Leonard Cohen. Yeah. And like 
Tom Waits and yep. um, Nick Cave, like all of my right. literary friends. Those are all like the lyricists that they love. And I feel like Lloyd Cole falls under that same kind of umbrella. He's different in the sense that I feel like he's not as dour as the rest right. of those guys. I feel like he's got a sense of melody. And I feel like he pokes some holes in the top of the box and lets some sunshine in, even though he's talking about heartbreak. Yeah, there you go. But he's probably my favorite lyricist probably ever. Wow. That's a, ever. That's a yeah. fucking pretty and, wild statement. Um, and he's still putting out records. He's still a great lyricist. He's still doing some great shit. Mainstream, I'd heard his first record, Rattlesnakes. And seriously, from the first record, I mean, he's already like name-checking Norman Mailer on the first fucking record. So, you know, it's a wow. literary thing. You know, he's, not, he's a smart guy. And he's yeah. writing cerebrally to get girls which i which i appreciate so much and i have a love-hate relationship with dylan too but dylan was the same guy he's writing these like super cerebral lyrics trying to get the girl and i feel like lloyd cole did the same thing um main street's kind of where i came in i mean he had a semi-mtv hit called perfect skin from this first record but uh mainstream which is the third and last lloyd cole in the commotions record before he went solo is where i came in and not only is my bag one of, like it's, it's a great song. It's probably one of my favorite record openers ever. Track one side ones ever. Yeah, it's so cool, dude. Yeah, I'm gonna say it is the coolest uh, drug song that I've ever heard in my life. It's fucking fantastic. Yeah, and the thing I love about that too is I feel like it was in the '80s, which is you know the cocaine '80s. There was a um, a literary movement with it, which they called like the literary brat pack, which was Tama Janowitz and Jay McInerney from New York and Brett Easton Ellis from LA. And they were kind of doing this, they were just kind of documenting like in New York or Brett Easton Ellis in LA, documenting these cocaine fueled 80s. And I feel like Lloyd Cole encapsulates all of that in a little over four minutes in just the song. And I posted it on Facebook a few months ago because I kind of like, I don't know why I was, I started listening to it again. And it's like this flurry, this rush of lyrics. Like he never takes a breath, it seems like. No. And it, it is. It feels like a cocaine-fueled song. Yeah. And it's just all this like super great imagery. Honestly, I just, it's mind-blowingly great. And I don't even know if I want to just like, pick out lyrics. Because like, any of the lyrics from this song pretty much yeah. kill me. They're all awesome. These drug references are like incredibly... I mean, they're out in the open, too. It's like you don't have to decode them, but that's almost what makes them so cool. Like, he's not trying to hide anything or be sly or be slick. I mean, he's just basically coming out and telling you what the deal is. It's fucking neat. Yeah. I mean, you've got lines like, excuse me one moment whilst I powder my nose. And, like, later, motorcycle speed cops burning up my dust roads. I mean, all of those are just all, like, references to cocaine. My favorite line is such a, it's not like a throwaway line. And when you hear the song, when you hear it in the context of the song, I will just rewind that part over and over. There's a line in the song. It seems stupid. I'm just going to say it. I feel like Steve Allen, like reciting Little Richard lyrics for a joke. <laughs> but there's a line in the song where he's like, I'm your yes man. Yes, ma'am. I'm your yes yeah. man. Which doesn't seem like anything. But the way that he sings it is pretty great but like spin spin whiskey and gin i suffer for my art bartender i got wild mushrooms going in my yard it's so fucking crazy and it, as an american like, and then the within like the third line in the song is pirelli calendar girls wrestling in body lotion i had no, I had no idea we didn't have google right we didn't have the internet like what the fuck is a pirelli calendar girl yeah. i looked it up when as soon as i could pirelli is a italian tire company and they put out a calendar every year of pinup girls. 
so pearly calendar girls wrestling in body lotion but if you ever hear that song like you need to go back i'll put it on the mix obviously you'll get to hear it on the mix but it's just this rush of words and it feels cocaine fueled and it feels druggy in the best way possible so it's for me it can totally encapsulates the cocaine fueled 80s for me it's a great song but there's a ton of great lyrics on that whole record and he's always been like a prime great lyricist yeah i can't wait to get all ooted out sonically speaking when you put this fucker on the mix (laughs) it's gonna be rad dude so we're down to our last choices yep uh what do you got there dion last but not least i want to talk about an artist talk about it talk about it mark griffin who went by the alias or a moniker of mc 900 foot jesus he was a classically trained uh, musician also a dj and he just put out a few great records in the late 80s and early 90s and i fucking I love three this dude. i think he just did yeah. three yeah i've only heard two of them i've heard the two one step ahead of the spider and uh welcome to my dream I didn't hear the first one. You said, what's the name of the first record again? That's actually more of like, it's MC 900 for Jesus with MC Zero, which is more of like a hip hop record, which I think you would really dig. But it's called Hell with the Lid Off, which is the very first record, which is the first time I'd ever heard. We were telling this story earlier. Me and my friend Bob had went to a show down in Detroit and we went to a dance club afterwards and we heard this song called Truth Is Out of Style by MC 900, which is just totally kind of like clunky hip-hop but it's so fucking cool though that's awesome a lot of his shit is you know spoken word and a lot of it's kind of rappy kind of hip-hop or whatever and he actually does sing on some tracks but his style of that spoken word of that talk singing it's just such well-written shit that it sort of primed me to like appreciate other talk singing type dudes like bands like say a cake or a soul coughing or even the hold steady yeah it's got that same kind of delivery that same kind of very uh, literary type shit where it just feels right man i can really get with that stuff and a lot of why that stuff hit me so hard is because i was already prepared for it from this relationship that i had with listening to two cassettes of mc 900 foot jesus over 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 again while i was in high school my friend john talaga hit me to them he was working i think at camelot did he work at camelot yeah after i did yeah he came in i think i worked with him for like a few months before i moved and he just he had come in after yeah, me. he and i had detention together or it might have been math class i can't remember it was in the same general Breakfast classroom club. right and he was <laughs> getting me involved i mean obviously he said come into the store and i'll help you out he was a pusher from very early on one of my musical influencers and a lot of the cassettes that i bought during that time we're talking about in 1992 ish around that era to about 94 like he was sort of feeding me like what i should be listening to and i would get into this industrial stuff i would get into this hip-hop stuff i would get into what was happening with this indie rock stuff like the pavements and everything on matador and it was all stuff that you guys did such a great job at that small camelot of like curating the selection and then pushing that onto people you know i was one of the victims of that and that really got me into my musical taste really really shaped the way that i listen to music and what i wanted to hear more of so on and so forth so when this mc 900 foot jesus came across me i was like dude this is it because it's not only the lyrics and it's not only he's got a cool voice too you know but it's also he really does the music i mean he would make these killer beats or he would have these killer jams that would just it was pretty impressive the song that i used to play a lot again back going back to the college radio days was a song called Buried at Sea. Yeah. It was very public enemy in the sense that they just looped this crazy fucking like 
this crazy like sound. It just went throughout the whole thing. It felt like a Bomb Squad production. And that's why I loved it like right away. I mean, he really went like what he was doing before was almost kind of goofy yeah. at first. But by the time he got to that third record, like he had fucking honed in on what he was doing and Buried at Sea felt like a P.E. song. But anyway, going back to the song that you're going to pick for the mix. Off of his second record there, I'm going to pick a song entitled uh, The City Sleeps. Now, this is a really cool tune. Yeah, It's a story, right? And I love these story songs. That's kind of like the common thread in most of my picks is I really appreciate when somebody can put together a story and lyrics and have no throwaway lines. I mean, there's a lot of internal rhymes in here that he just, he really fucking hammers at home. This song in particular, I remember when I was going to Delta College, this would be like 97-ish, we had to write a short story for creative writing class based on some other art. And I chose this song to write a short story. Now in my cool short story, the uh, pyro that he's talking about, he is in this song. I made it so that he was actually working at the fire department or whatever, you know, there was a twist. There was a bunch of, there was a box that we had to check off of all these literary things that we had to do. But I just remember listening to this song like thousands of times while I was trying to write this story, this short story that was inspired by this song. And it's not just the lyrics. I mean, the beat too is just fucking phenomenal. It's dark. It almost sounds like a mix of, I I looked into this. There are no samples in that song. The only samples are whatever he's scratching. Like there's some DJ scratching, there's some vocal loops and stuff, but the actual base of the song is not a sample at all. And I couldn't believe that. I don't think he used any samples. I think he actually had stuff played, like the Beastie Boys did. They actually played stuff in the studio, and then they just sampled and looped that stuff. Yeah, this I think. the backing track of this song, it sounds like sort of a mix between Michael McDonald and The Doors. Like, I keep forgetting, sort of mashed up with Riders on the Storm. It's just an incredible-sounding song, and I love it so much. And, and to have the words in the story be so dark and so cool, you know, especially, you know, I was growing up as a teenager listening to this. It just really did it for me. And the dude just, just didn't disappoint. I mean, he's probably most famous for uh, If I Only Had a Brain because it was on Beavis and Butthead, you know, when they were watching his video for that song that was directed by Spike Jones. You know, they had that synth line that Beavis was whatever, <laughs> mimicking and... <laughs> Check it out, this dumbass is trying to mail himself. That's about as popular as he got, but I was so happy when I brought this uh, artist up to you and you just, you knew all about it. You were like, oh, I love him. I'm like, oh, that's great. I'm a huge fan, and this is another song where when you look at the lyrics, it's like a film within the song. I mean, you don't hear too many songs about arsonists. Yeah. And it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. He's, yeah, yeah, he's one of a kind. And I'm sad that he stopped recording, doing anything. Right, yeah. I just love that line that he would always end with. He's like, if I reached in my pocket and I pulled out a match. And pull out a match. yeah, of course (laughs) you did. That's so awesome. It's pretty great. Yeah, and more people need to know about MC 900 for Jesus. And, and And the name is goofy, and I can see how that might put people off. But he's most surely worth investigating, for sure. Right. There's not a clunker in his repertoire, as far as I'm concerned. I love oh, I no. love both the records I have, no, and I can't I, wait to check out the other one in full now that I know it exists. Hell with the lid off? Yeah, you need that in your life, for sure. And that's yeah. what we're about here, Lightning Licks Radio. We're all about discovery. And look at us, discovering within discoveries. Ooh. <laughs> layers. It's like onion layers of discoveries for everybody involved. What a great deal. Jay, do you have one final... 
lyrical you know song you'd like to discuss. You know that I do. Yeah. So much like you, on a couple of different levels, I wanted to bring in something new-ish. Yeah. And I also wanted to bring in something female-ish. A few years ago, I fell in love with a, a woman named Faye Webster. Mm-hmm. And she put out a record, which was in my top 11 of that year. I think it was 2019 called Atlanta Millionaires Club. I remember like hearing rumblings about her and you know seeing it on the on the lists and stuff, but we you must have not had it on vinyl cuz you didn't include it on our Well, yeah, were we doing that by that time? No, that was before we started doing the thing. And the thing is is I was hip to her from simply because cuz I know me and you have talked about doing an episode based on record labels that we trust. Yeah. And she is on Secretly Canadian, okay. which is one of those labels that I trust. And there was like a handful of labels that I will go on to, and I would just purchase stuff from that label, completely the sound unheard, yeah. just because I trust a label. And Secret Canadian is one of those labels. And that's how I came to Faye Webster. And so the song that I want to pick is a song called Come to Atlanta. I just recently purchased Secretly Canadian, just reissued the record previous to this. I'm not sure what she has out before that. So I was actually just purchased that too. But I love the fact that um, it's like sound wise, sonically, it's kind of a bit alt country. There's kind of like some slide guitar. It's a little bit, uh, she's so hard to peg. Yeah. It sounds great though. I mean, the production is just incredible. Like, especially your vocals. Like, I don't know any. Uh, artist that sounds like that maybe that and it does have to do with the production of the way she puts her vocals onto tape or ones and zeros or what have you but i like this pick specifically because it feels like it's the perfect example of sometimes less being more exactly and that's the thing lyrically that i'm a fan of is like the fact that you can hit me in the heart with this like simple direct lyrics and I feel like it's cool because she kind of has this Memphis thing because there's these horns there. It's kind of alt country. It's a little bit soul. Yeah. What she does is really interesting. But the thing is her delivery, like vocally, when you watch her videos, her videos are hilarious. And I want to feel like when I was younger, going back to Morrissey, I was all about the angst of Morrissey. It wasn't until I got older when I realized how funny he was. Uh-huh. And it's not all supposed to be serious. Like His shit's funny. And it's supposed to be funny. So when you see her videos and you want, and you listen to her stuff, her vocals are so deadpan that you have to imagine that although they're super heartbreakingly sad, that there's still a little humor there too. Right. Like I feel like she's kind of making fun of the whole thing. Right. But the song Come to Atlanta and all of her stuff is kind of like this. It's just really basic. I mean, the, the lyrics are, why don't you want to come to visit? Why do you only speak of it? When will you come to Atlanta? I want to see you here in Atlanta. Yeah. She's missing this person it couldn't be any more simple it couldn't be any more basic but it's so super powerful just the lyrics and its simplicity are so super powerful and she just kills me like i she's probably like one of my favorite like newer like newer artists in the last few years like i'm really kind of obsessed with her. yeah and i'm really kind of excited that you shared this with me because although i did hear of her before i never took the dive and as soon as you shared that song with me i was like dude i gotta hear all this shit this is amazing yeah it's smooth as shit it's super smooth like the lyrics with the horn lines and stuff are super smooth but without like i'm not a big horns fan in rock and roll as a general rule but the way that she uses it 
it's very, very like stacked, full yeah. kind of. It's very cool. The it's, best of it. Yeah. She's a singer to watch, I think. In a few years, I think people are going to talk about her a little bit more. Yeah. You can get on it now. You can say, oh, I was into Faye Webster before anybody was. Fuck yeah. Now you, can, you can have that now if you time. want to do that. Whatever. Yeah, the song has come to Atlanta, but any of her stuff is worth checking out. The Atlanta Millionaires Club is pretty badass. It's a great record. And the one previous to that that I just bought is also great, too. So again, well worth diving into for sure good i'm going to take your advice jay and i'm going to dive into some Faye webster and our yes. listeners are just about to dive into a mixtape that you decide how to put together with all the songs that we talked about are you ready super excited jay yeah fuck yeah you're nice. always ready dude i'm always gonna ask you and you're always gonna say yes i'm rubbing my hands together and i'm ready to go the anticipation go. is ooh. <laughs> let's do this bud
Jogging, baby. 
the times of preaching Where all the folks that the script's been reaching They're hard to find Like it's crime To do of good and brotherhood Seems no one will and the only thrill Is doing bad That's kind of sad So all I'm trying to say What a way, what a way to waste the day. The black and the old fade, working the same jobs for the pay. But it seems here lately, we have nothing to say. We just stare and stare. I look across the aisle. At the process he wear While people sitting back Digging my nappy hair A sister standing And no one even care folks. Keep it up. Thank you. Thank you.
Eyes, falls in love at first sight with the girl in the doorway. What beautiful lines! How full of life after thousands of years! What a face to wake up to! He holds back a sigh as she touches his arm. She dusts off the bed where till now he's been sleeping under miles of stone. The dried figure of his heart. Under scarab and bone starts back to its beating She carries him home in a beautiful boat He watches the sea from a porthole in storage He can hear all she says as she sits by his bed And one day his lips answer her in her own language The days quickly pass, he loves making her laugh The first time he moves, it's her hair that he touches She asks, are you cursed? He says, I think that I'm cured Then he talks of the Nile and the girls in bulrushes Glass-covered case He pretends he is dead People crowd round to see him But each night she comes round And the two wander down The halls of the tomb That she calls a museum Often he stops to rest But then less and less Then it's her that looks tired Staying up asking questions He learns how to read From the papers that she Is writing about him he makes corrections, it's his face on a book More and more come to look 
families from Iowa Upper West Siders Then one day it's too much He decides to get up and his chaos ensues He walks outside to find her She's using a cane And her face looks too pale But she's happy to see him As they walk he supports her She asks are you cursed But his answer's obscured In a sandstorm of flashbulbs And rowdy reports out of limos he meets other women he speaks of her fondly their nights in the museum but she's just one more rag now he's dragging behind them she stops going out she just lies there in bed in hotels and whatever towns they are speaking and her face starts to set and her hands start to fold and one day the drop figure her heart stops its beat He said, think of them as an immense invitation She asked, are you cursed? He said, I think that I'm cured Then he kissed her and hoped that she'd forget that question
clothes that you could sell for me Why do you think my brain is made for? Is it just a container for the mind? This great gray matter Since they replied What is your woman? Is she just a container for the child? That soft pink matter Cotton candy Margin boo oh, oh, oh. Close my eyes and fall into you, you, you My God, she's giving me pleasure What if the sky and the stars are for sure And the aliens are watching life From the purple matter Since they went quiet Then violent We spot until we both grew tired Nothing matters Cotton candy Margin boo, oh, 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 dim the lights and fall into a you, you, you. My God, giving me pleasure, pleasure. Since you've been gone, I've been having withdrawals. You were such a habit to call. I ain't myself at all, had to tell myself, no, she better with some fella with a regular job. I didn't want to get her involved. By then, I missed a Benjamin was sitting in awe. Hops into my car, drove far. Far's too close, and I remember my memory's no sharp. But a knife, what a life, anyway. I'm building all the clock, stop, what am I, anyway? She had the kind of body that would probably intimidate any of them that were unsouthern. Not me, cousin. If models are made for modeling, thick girls are made for cuddling. Switch worlds, and we can huddle then. Who needs another friend? I need to hold your hand. You need no other man. We flee to other lands.
that ocean so motherfucking good. Make a squat the motherfucking wood. Make a walk the motherfucking plank. Make a rob a motherfucking bank with no mask on and I rush to revolve. Woo! That was hot, bud. That was real hot. Nice job, mixing there. I don't do anything but hot mixes, buddy. <laughs> Dude, fire mixes. I know. And those were, you know, some of the songs that spoke to us lyrically. Hopefully, our listeners out there had the same experience. And maybe they could think about some things that hit them lyrically and share it with us. Yes, when we post this shit on Facebook, please get into conversation. Like, tell us about the songs lyrically that crushed you. We want to hear about that stuff for sure. Right. Don't be shy, man. Don't be shy. Yeah, don't be shy, man. This is all just a big family of us getting together, talking about music. It's a great time. We're inclusive. It's a big, warm, sonic hug. Mm, Come on. It's cozy. Springtime's popping. The flowers are coming up. (laughs) Let's talk about lyrics that make us feel happy and sunshiny and bright, just like hopefully the world around us turns into as the seasons change and we get more back to normal hopefully hopefully get more back to normal that's going to be a great great thing i feel awful that you said seasons change and the only thing i could think of is the expose song seasons change you just gave me an idea (laughs) do you know that song yes i do (laughs) seasons change (laughs) feelings change i know burning it up bud bringing the heat we do have some very special news for everybody that listens this long i know some people don't i know some people do but if you listen this long you're going to get a heads up on a special treat that we're going to continue to give you on a certain regular basis jay had the great idea of maybe having another episode that wasn't so much tied to a theme because both of us kind of struggle with themes we love the way this comes together we love the way we sort of set this up but it is kind of stressful to just pick certain things that fit into a theme so we wanted to open it up to be more about an experience of talking about whatever the hell it is that we're listening to right exactly and that was my whole thing too is like i initially when we first talked about doing this you were talking about doing this twice a month and i'm like fuck it's gonna be too hard to come up with the theme yeah. twice a month like hard once a month is hard enough but then i was thinking about it and i was like you know we don't ever get to talk about the music that we're listening to right now right now until we get to the year end you know where we did pick our like best of you know top 11 of 2000 whatever right we don't talk about the shit that we're listening to right now and i thought let's just do like a bonus episode where we just talk about and, and the thing is, we both, me and you, are both kind of like, we don't want to get too like basic yeah. or too obvious, but I feel like this is the episode where, you know what, if I've been, what do you listen to? I've been on a huge Kiss kick. If I want to talk about fucking listening to Kiss, right. this is the episode that we're going to do that. Or new releases, or getting back to uh, finding a relationship with songs that sure. are albums that you dug out of the collection while you were looking yep. Yep. to fulfill. Because I know you say yep, a lot or, of times, you touch all your records sometimes to come up with these songs from these themes. Well, you probably yeah. pick out some things that don't work with the theme that you're like, holy fuck. I forgot how awesome this was. I'd love to share it. Or you go to Kitsch and you buy something that older that you'd never heard before. Like it's a rediscovery of something that had been released years previous. Like just whatever new discovery, old stuff, whatever you're obsessing on this month. Right. Let's talk about that. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's yeah. what we're going to do. Uh, I don't know when it'll be that's out, but do. when it comes out, you'll know it. And we'll be talking to each other about the shit we're into, but we'll also be introducing some new voices. This gives us the perfect opportunity to get some other people involved and tell us basically what they're fucking with so that we can know what everyone else is listening to. 
Right, because that was always our intention is to introduce new voices, but I feel like we became kind of possessive about what we were doing. Yeah. But this allows us, this gives us the avenue to bring some new voices in. This gives us that second episode per month where we can talk to other people too, which I think is a cool gateway to all of that. Right, so that will be a wrap for episode 14. We hope you enjoyed us uh, dissecting the lyrics. I mean, it wasn't, it was more stories about, you know, words that got us. So it wasn't really too highfalutin of getting into the meaning of these lyrics. Which is what music is anyway. Right, everything's so subjective. You don't you don't know what they're really saying. Yeah. To me, it depends on what kind of mood I'm in. But basically, every song is about fucking or drugs. But <laughs> <laughs> Or fucking and drugs. Or, you know, falling in love with a reanimated mummy. So it could be anywhere. It could be anything. <laughs> anywhere. Covering all the bases there. It could be anywhere. <laughs> and as always, again, if you're taking the trip with us if you're like a regular listener if you're a first time listener whatever thank you so much there is again we're a raindrop in an ocean of podcasts thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast like we most certainly appreciate you choosing us thank you absolutely what an honor to be in your queue i mean there are so many things that you could choose from and so many other topics i mean even musicals there's so many music podcasts out there with people that are so much more famous with us with production value that is so much superior but i tell you what we give it our all every month and we do so for free partly because it's totally illegal pirate radio and we can't afford the rights to anything (laughs) but also because we just love talking about music yes why not right we love music and we love you so thank you so is this the time right now that you would bring in the theme song this is the time that i will take direction from you as to when to bring the theme song oh, no, in no, and you just gave you. me you're the conductor just... you're like the lawrence wilk of this of this podcast uh, okay we're gonna do it right now then Boom. do it do it <laughs> Sonic contributions to episode 14 of Lightning Mix Radio are as follows, in order of appearance. As always, Brothers Johnson, Holland Dozier Holland, Lee Moses, James Todd Smith, but also ELO, Simon and Garfunkel, Michael Franti and Spearhead, Morrissey, Elton John and Bernie Toppin, John Mellencamp, Tom McGovern, The Impressions, Curtis Mayfield, The Style Council, The Jam, How About That Paul Weller, Josh Ritter, Queen, Paul Williams, Morphine, Treat Her Right, Laura Gibson, Bob Boylan, Cal Jader, Lloyd Cole in the Commotions, MC 900 Foot Jesus, DJ Zero, Soul Coffee, The Doors, Michael McDonald, Beavis, and Butthead, Faye Webster, Imperial Brothers, Expose, Jive Rhythm, and The Clockers. Keep an eye on your feeds, there'll be some bonus material coming to you very soon from Jay and I. See ya in a little bit. Lightning Lexus in the mix. The rocks faded with these dusty fingertips. We've learned from digging in the bins at electric hitch. So and so much more. We got the hip hop, rip pop, new and old. We got the free jazz, punk rock, disco, gold, garage psyched up and acoustic funk. And your requests like, nah man, I think I left that LP at home. It's on the shelf in my basement, that's where it belongs. Sorry y'all. Now don't get me wrong, I really do appreciate your input. 
But I don't really need your stinking input Nah, B, I'm just playing Just trying to play too The rule is what I'm saying Why waste your time on a top 40 hit list When you can prep platters like a catering business So fresh, I'm high five on my deck Maybe collaborate and jump it That's teamwork, baby Cue up, ain't no B-side treat With the guts so deep to make your ear holes bleed Dusty groups and forgotten gems Sample sources from way back when You're like, hmm, that sounds familiar Well, it's Osley Bros Now Biggie Cupid in the bud is still ill And it still kills It's a bona fide for that For a last to deal That is so interesting. So what we want to know is... What is it you fucking with? What are you listening to? What is it you fucking with? Gotta hear this one song. Don't change your life, I swear. What is it you fucking with? Exactly. What is it you fucking with? 